It's amazing to be here together. 23 years this church has been meeting. I've not been here for that whole time. I've probably been here for the last third of that. But it's been amazing to see, even in that time, what God has done and to hear the stories about what He's been doing in past times and to get together, worship Him and to look forward to the things that He's got prepared for us as a church. It's really exciting. We're talking about purpose this morning. Come and see purpose, the start of a new month, the start of a new series and what better time to talk about purpose than Christmas when we celebrate how God's purpose was revealed through the person of Jesus Christ who came was born as a human being, died and was resurrected to set us free, to give us life, to give us purpose. Thanks, guys. You can take a seat. So I want to ask a question this morning. The question is, what is your name? What is your name? Our name is something that is fundamental to who we are. It's fundamental to our identity. When someone gets your name wrong, we, we get really annoyed about that because it's like, you don't even know me at all. You, you're thinking I'm this completely other person. You've got me completely wrong. Our name is something that's very important. It's, it's connected to our identity. Our identity is connected to our purpose. And it's not surprising then that in the Bible, a person's name is completely linked to their identity. In the Bible, a person doesn't just have a name, a person is their name. In the book of Revelation, which is a letter from John, it's a, it's a difficult one to read because it's, it's full of imagery and, and you know, he's, he's coming face to face with Jesus. He's having this vision and Jesus is revealing things to him which he's trying to communicate to the churches. And, and some of it is a little hard to understand. But within that letter, there are some smaller letters to particular churches that Jesus wants to say something to. And one of those churches is the church in Pergamum, which is a city in what's now Turkey. And we find it in Revelation chapter 2. And I'm not going to read out the whole thing. But basically, Jesus says to this church in Pergamum, I know who you are. I know your strengths, I know your weaknesses, I know your struggles, I know that you're being persecuted, I know that you're suffering for your faith, I know that some of you are wandering off and following after false teachers, you need to repent of that. But then he finishes these sayings to the church there in Pergamon by saying, to the one who is victorious, I will give a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So the picture here is of this Christian, the Christian, a Christian, being loyal to Jesus to the end, to the one who's victorious, God will give a new name. It's a picture of the way I imagine it. It's not, it doesn't really spell it out any more than that in the text, but the way I imagine it is us, at, you know, at the end of our life, when, when all of our struggles and and everything are are through, coming face to face with God and then God, the first thing God's saying is speaking to us our new name and of us having the reaction of, yes, that, that is who I am. That is 
That perfectly encaptures my identity. It perfectly encapsulates your purpose for me. It's that thing of, you know, I never, I never could have said it like that, but God, you have summed me up completely. Because God is the only one who knows us completely. I, I've been married for nearly 20 years. I still feel like I don't know my wife sometimes. She'll do things that completely surprise me. Sometimes I feel like I don't even know myself. 30, 38 years old. But God knows us completely because he created us and he didn't just create us as some kind of experiment to see what would happen. He created us with a purpose. He has a purpose for us. And he has a name for each one of us that he wants to share with us. In the Bible, there are some stories of where this happens. God comes face to face with a person and he gives them a new name. He gives them a new purpose. He gives them a new identity. And so we're going to look at some of those this morning and see what we can learn about our own name from these stories. So let's go back to the beginning in Genesis. Maybe not the very beginning, but uh, not far from it. In Genesis chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham means father of many. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. We skip down a bit to verse 15. And God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Sarah means princess. She is going to be the princess that gives birth to kings. So God gives them these new names. These new names are connected to the purpose that he has for them. These new names are not based on their purposes for their own life. This is something that God gives to them. And you know, God has a purpose for each one of us. It's something that he gives to us. It's not something that we can invent for ourselves. People everywhere, all over the world, people are trying to come up with purpose for their own lives because that's something that God has built deep inside each of us. We need purpose. We know that we, we are built to have a purpose. But so many people are trying to find their purpose within themselves when really it is God alone who can give us our purpose, who can give us our name. So God makes this promise to them. They're going to be parents of a huge family, which will become an entire nation, which will bless the whole earth. Let's, let's get some context about who are these people that God has chosen for this purpose. Let's read in Genesis chapter 11, just a few chapters back. Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. Now Sarai was the most fertile woman in all the land. 
So that's good. That's called talent appraisal. God has, he's way ahead of the game there. He's chosen someone who really has the capacity to do what he needs her to be able to do. Uh, No, sorry. That's not what it says at all. Now, Sarai was barren. What? Sarai was unable to have children. God has chosen someone for a purpose to create this massive family. He's chosen someone that is unable, completely, physically unable to fulfill that purpose. If I was one of God's advisors back then, I might have said to him, listen, God, this purpose that you've got to, you know, create this nation that's going to bless the whole world, that's fantastic. I'm totally on board with that. I think that's an amazing idea. But you might want to rethink who you're choosing to, to fulfill this purpose. Abram and Sarai, the rumor going around is that they actually can't fulfill that purpose. So, you know, maybe you want to look elsewhere. Their names are Abraham and Sarah, and that's who I've chosen. Yep, 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 yep. But it's just that, um, well, you know, Sarah's pretty old. I think maybe she's past the years of childbirth. And Abraham's even older. You know, I, I think we could find a great young couple who could do exactly what you want them to do, so, you know, some newly married couple full of life and vitality, many years of raising children ahead of them. Surely that would be a better start to the process than Abram and Sarai. And we can find something else for them to do. I'm sure we can find some corner somewhere with some purpose, some other purpose that they could fulfill. No, their names are Abraham and Sarah, and that's who I've chosen to fulfill my purpose. God chooses the unlikely to fulfill his purpose. He chooses people who the, the world would never choose, who we would never choose in a million years. That's who he chooses to fulfill his purpose. God doesn't choose to accomplish his purposes in us because of some quality within us, because of our abilities, because of our skills, because of our capabilities. He accomplishes his purposes in us, not because of our abilities, but because of his promise. And so God tells Sarah this promise. He tells her what he has in store for her. He gives her her new name. And what does Sarah do? She laughs. She laughs at this idea that God could fulfill this purpose through her. Don't be ridiculous. I'm an old woman. My husband is an old man. Even when I was younger, I couldn't have children. Sure, I would have loved to have children. Where were you 50 years ago? That's when I would have liked to have children. Now you're coming to me? Now when I'm old? Don't make me laugh. God doesn't consult us and our schedule when he's determining how he's going to fulfill his purposes. He fulfills his purposes in us at just the right time, according to his timing, not according to our timing, which is frustrating for us, very frustrating. I'm sure it was very frustrating for Sarah. But that's the way God chooses to fulfill his purpose. And so Sarah laughs when God tells her what her new name is. 
And God says, because you laughed, Sarah, when you have this son, when you start to see this promise being fulfilled in your life, when it starts to become a reality, when, not if, when that happens, you are going to name your son Isaac, which means laughter. You're going to name your son Laughter. So that on that day when he's born and you say his name for the first time, you'll remember that you laughed when I told you my purpose is for you. And you'll know that I always have the last laugh. Because I will accomplish my purposes through you, not because of your abilities, but because of my promise. So, Abraham and Sarah, they do live up to their name. They have, have one son, which then becomes many, many, many children. And Sarah, princess, does give birth to kings. Her descendants become kings. And centuries later, one of their descendants has another similar experience where he comes face to face with God and God gives him a new name. Let's read from Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is just how Jesus referred to himself. Who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Death itself will not overcome my church. Now there's a a wordplay that's going on here that we miss in English, unfortunately. The translate it doesn't come through the translation, but the word Peter and the word rock are essentially the same word in the Greek. So Jesus says, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Peter, the rock. And Peter was a rock. He was a rock just a few verses later in the same conversation when he tries to convince Jesus not to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. That can't possibly be the plan, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, you're being a stumbling block. That's the kind of rock you're being right now. He was a rock when he tried to walk on water and he sank like a stone. But he was also a rock when he stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached to thousands of people about the resurrected Jesus. He was a rock when they arrested him for preaching about this same Jesus, warned him, threatened him with all kinds of things, put him in jail. And as soon as he gets out, the next day, where is he? He's back in the temple courts preaching about Jesus. And there's one particular conversation that happens between Jesus and Peter, which I think is really enlightening about his name, but also shows us something about our name. And that's in Luke chapter 22. So this is uh, the Last Supper. That's the scene. They're, they're celebrating the Passover together. And Jesus has 
just done the whole thing with the, the breaking of the bread. This is my body, the pouring of the wine. This is my blood poured out for you. This, this huge, hugely symbolic moment, which is so crucial to our faith that we do that even to this day when we come together. We remember that, that symbolic thing that Jesus did. And then after that, Jesus says, one of you here sitting at the table with me is going to betray me. And, and of course, we know that it was Judas who betrayed him, but they didn't know at the time, except Judas, I suppose. But they all start to say, well, it's, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. And a fight, an argument breaks out among them about who is the greatest? Which one of them is the greatest? And Jesus kind of chastises all of them, but then he looks specifically at Peter. Maybe Peter was arguing the loudest, who knows? But he looks specifically at Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Interesting, he calls him Simon here rather than Peter. You are not acting like Peter right now, arguing about who's the greatest. You're not being the rock that I've called you to be. You're acting like that old man. But that old man is not who you are anymore. I've given you a new name. I've given you a new purpose. Stop going back to that old person that you used to be before I called you to a new purpose. Your name is Peter. If you're going to act like Simon, I'm going to call you Simon, but that's not who you are. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. You know what happens when you sift wheat? You're trying to get the good grain and separate it from all the other rubbish, all the other chaff. And because you want to just get rid of that, that's no good. Just keep the good grain. And what we know, because we've heard this story before, we know what's about to happen in the next 24 hours after this moment. All of the disciples are going to be tested. Every single one of them is going to be tested in terms of their loyalty to Jesus. And every single one of them is going to fail that test. They are all going to abandon Jesus and Jesus is going to end up alone as he is led to the cross. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat because Satan wants to give you a new name as well. It's not just God who wants to give you a new name. Satan wants to give you a new name. Peter? You think your name is Peter? You think you're the rock? You're not the rock. Let me tell you, you're about to fail in the most pathetic of ways. You are not Peter. You are nothing but chaff. Your name is chaff. That's all you are. That's all you're ever going to be. Satan wants to give us that name, but it's a lie. You know, there's no, Satan has no authority to give us a name. There is, when a human mother, when Emma has her baby, if I rock up to the hospital after she's had her baby and say, Emma, I'm here to tell you what the name of your child is going to be. Yeah, well, that's right. I'm, I'm not sure she's going to say, okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah all right. We'll, we'll take that name. No one has the authority to name a child except their parents. No one has the authority to give us a name except our Father in heaven. He's the only one who has authority to give us a name. But others will try to give us a name. Satan will try to give us a name. It's lies. He will suggest uh, your name is nothing but chaff. That, that's your name. That's who you are deep inside at your core. It's a lie. Only God can give us our name. 
Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail, but I know that you are going to have failures. You're about to have a big one, in fact. But after you've failed, when you've turned back, when you've repented of that, when you've turned back to me, then strengthen your brothers. Then be the rock. Then be Peter. Be who I've called you to be. Don't wallow in that failure. Don't believe the lies of the devil that you are just chaff. You are Peter. That's who I've called you to be. So when you have turned back, be Peter. But he replied, this is Peter, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter. Now he's calling him Peter. That's more like it, Peter. I know that that is who I've called you to be. You're ready to give up everything for me. That's who I've called you to be. But I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus knows that Peter is going to fail. He knows that we are going to have failures in our own life. But that doesn't affect the purposes that he has for us. That doesn't affect the name that he has given us. The new name that he wants to give you does not depend on your perfection. It depends on his promise. And Satan's not the only one who wants to give us a new name. The world will also try to give us a name. We can look at the story of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was a young Jewish boy who was unlucky enough to be alive at the time when Jerusalem was invaded by the Babylonians and a lot of people died, a lot of people were carried off into exile in Babylon. And the Babylonians were very clever about the way that they uh, invaded other countries and then sort of how they dealt with that afterwards because what they would do is take some of the probably you know the upper class maybe the, the well-educated young men and so on they would take them into their uh the palace make give them a job you know a, a high profile job and they would start to indoctrinate them in the ways of babylon they obviously had their own gods that they worshipped and so they take daniel and some of his friends in and they start this process of indoctrination And the first step in this process is to give each of them a new name. And so Daniel and his friends all get given a new name. And so Daniel, which means God is my judge in Hebrew, he is given the name Belteshazzar, which means something like Bel protect him. Bel was the um, chief Babylonian god. So they, they give Daniel a new name. And that starts a whole process of events of them taking Daniel away from loyalty to the God of Israel and converting his loyalty into loyalty to Babylon and loyalty to the God of the Babylonians. And it would have been so easy for Daniel to just take on that new name, to just think, well, this is, this is who I am now. The, the world is trying to give me this name. This is who I'm going to be. You know, with that comes influence, with that comes power, with that comes 
a high-paying job, you know, uh, favor from the king, all of those kind of things come with that. But Daniel says, no, I'm not going to accept the name that the world is trying to give me. We can't control what other people say about us. We can't control the name that the world tries to give us. What we can control is whether or not we embrace that name or whether we stay embracing of the name that God has given to us. And so Daniel, in many different ways, says, I'm going to be loyal to the name that God has given me. God is my judge, and I'm going to be loyal to that name, to his name, to my name. Even if it cost me my life. And they did try to kill Daniel and his friends. They tried to kill all of them, and they weren't very successful at trying to kill them. But even if it cost me my life, says Daniel, I will not accept the name that you have given me. It's so tempting, though, for us to accept the name that the world wants to give us because there's, there's so much of a lure there. You know, those of you who are in influential positions in your jobs and so on, or some of you younger ones might be sort of, you know, having ambitions in, in that area, it's so tempting to take on the name that the world wants to give you. There's something very seductive about that. But it's a lie. It's a lie at the end of the day. You only have one name. There is only one person who has the authority to give you a name, and that is your Father in heaven. So, when we hear that God's purposes don't depend on our abilities, when we hear that God's purposes don't depend on our perfection, we can respond in a couple of different ways. Some hear that and respond, oh, thank goodness. That is such a relief because I really feel like I don't have a lot to offer. I really feel like if it's up to me to accomplish God's purposes in my life, then it's not going to get done because I'm, I have nothing to give. Some of us uh, hear that and where it kind of gets our backs up a little bit because we think, well, hang on a second. I actually do have a lot to offer. I, I'm, you know, I have skills and talents to bring. I've, I've got a lot to, that I can bring to the table. I think I'm the kind of guy, actually, that God needs to accomplish his purposes. I'm the kind of guy that God could use. If, if you're responding in that first way of, oh my gosh, that's such a relief. God wants to speak to you about your new name. He wants to whisper that new name to you. Like a mother taking her child on her lap and telling the child, let me tell you about who you are. Let me tell you about the day you were born. Let me tell you about things that have happened in your past. Let me tell you about your future. God wants to do that with us, to whisper that new name and to remind you that no matter how crazy you think that new name is, no matter how much you think that that is just impossible, there's no way, God, that I can live up to that name. You've got confused. That must be someone else's name. God wants to remind you that I always have the last laugh. I will accomplish my purposes through you and it's not because of your abilities. You might have the complete 
opposite, you might have the anti-credentials. Sarah had the anti-credentials to be the mother of this great nation. She was the last person in the world you would ever choose. But God chose her to show that he, his purposes are accomplished because of his power, because of his promises, not because of our abilities. And if you're responding in that second way of thinking, well, you know, I still feel like I do have a lot to offer. I still feel like I can contribute quite a lot to God's... I might might even feel like I can achieve God's purposes in my life, even even really without God. You know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well at achieving God's purposes myself. If you're responding like that, or if you ever do respond like that, you're in pretty good company because that's exactly the way the disciples responded. Here they are. They've just had the first Lord's Supper. Now they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest, which one of them brings the most to the table, which one of them is going to be the most valuable to Jesus when he becomes king. It's going to be me. No, it's going to be me. And if you're responding like that, perhaps Jesus wants to say to you something similar to what he said to Peter. I'm praying for you. And when you've repented, when you've turned back, then be who you're meant to be, then be the name that I've given you. Live up to that name that I've given you because that's who you really are. You're not trying to become someone that you're not. You're trying to become someone who you are. That's who God has destined you to be from before the foundation of the world, before you were even born. God had a destiny and a plan for you and it's not based on what you can accomplish in your own strength. It's based on what he will accomplish through you. So, I'll ask the team to come back up. At the moment, we don't see God face to face. One day we will. One day, we will, either at the end of our life or when he comes again, whichever one comes first, we don't know. But one day we will see him face to face and he will give us that new name. Which, and we will say, yes, that is who I am. But in the meantime, God wants to start telling us about our new name. Now, as we grow closer to him, as we spend time with him, he whispers to us about who we really are. As we spend time with him, we don't just learn about who he is, we learn about who we are and we find our purpose in him. And... What I've been talking about here this morning has been mainly focused on us as individual Christians, but you know, there is a communal aspect to this as well. We're celebrating our birthday here today, 23 years that God has been accomplishing His purposes in our church. It's not based on our abilities, even though we have abilities. And Bruce and Julie started out and they, they had some skills and they had some ideas and they had some capacity. But God has accomplished His purposes through our church and He will continue to accomplish His purposes through our church, not based on our abilities, not based on our perfection. Thank goodness for that. We are not perfect. I am not perfect. If any of you are under the illusion that I'm perfect, I can assure you, talk to my wife. She'll tell you I'm not. None of us are, but that's okay. God is going to accomplish His purposes through us despite our imperfections because of His promise to us. Why don't we go back into that third song from the first? Is that all right? All right. 
let's, let's sing to God. And while we're singing this song, if you have responded this morning to what I've been saying, if you have, maybe you have lost sight of what your name is. Maybe, maybe God has spoken to you about it before, but you've lost sight of what your purpose is then come forward for prayer afterwards. We'll pray with you. We'll pray together. We'll keep praying together. Jesus is praying for you. That's so encouraging to know. And if you this morning have never surrendered your purposes to his purposes, I want to encourage you this morning to make that decision. There's no better time leading up to Christmas to make that decision, to surrender your purposes to his purposes, to surrender your identity to who he is. Because there is so so many ways that people are trying to find out their purpose, trying to find out who they really are. You will never find it except in Him. We only find our name in His name. Jesus, Jesus, we declare this morning that You are the King. We declare this morning that Your name is high above any other name. We come together this morning, 23 years we've been meeting together in this church and we continue to meet because you are still the King. You are still on the throne. You are still the only one who has the words of eternal life. You are still the only one who can give us our purpose, who can tell us who we really are. And so we keep meeting and we're going to keep meeting. And we thank you, Lord, for all the things that you've been doing through us individually, through us as a church, through your worldwide church in those countries like um, Bulgaria and other countries where they're facing persecution. Father, we thank you for everything that you're doing and we thank you that your purposes will come to fruition. We thank you, Lord, for those signs that you give us from time to time, like the birth of Sarah's son, when we start to see your purposes becoming a reality. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and died and was resurrected to give us life, to give us a new name, to give us a new purpose. Thank you, Jesus.